Thank you, Elder Edwin. Good to see you. Thank you, Elder Edwin. Good morning, Christ Central. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to have uh, everyone here, especially our youth students and college students, uh, especially the college students before they go back. It's really, really wonderful to have each and every one of you here. Um, and for those joining us online, welcome. It's great that you're tuning in and worshiping with us uh, remotely. Um, and if you're here for the very first time, maybe you're a, a guest of, a, of, of one of our church members or our attenders, maybe you're just traveling through uh, this weekend through the DMV, possibly you're in search of a new church family or community, I want to warmly extend a welcome to you. And, and if you haven't been to church in a while, and uh, this is your first time in, in weeks, months, or even years, we want to say welcome back. I hope and trust that everyone online and in person will experience God's presence today, will feel his embrace, and learn of his goodness, his grace, and his promises found in Jesus and in the gospel. If you have your Bibles, would you turn there with me today? I'm going to preach to you from a passage that I think I needed for myself more than even I needed to preach to you. It's from Revelation chapter 2. Uh, it's only seven verses. It's a familiar passage. Uh, there's, a, there's a line or a verse here that's commonly referenced. And uh, so hopefully there's some familiarity, but if you're reading for the first time, hopefully it refreshes you and it resonates with you. Okay? So Revelation chapter 2, starting with verse 1. And forgive me, I, you know, I, I think Elder Edwin, he prayed that I'd be freed from the fear of man, okay? And as I get older, I just bring the book closer to my eyes, okay? So uh, it's okay, it's okay, you know, I'm not going to pretend to be young and have incredible vision. I'm going to pretend to be my age and have poor vision. So forgive me, okay? But this helps me to not mess up the reading of God's Word. Hear the, the Word of the Lord. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostle and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduringly patient and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Verse 4, here's the key. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you had fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you bow with me in prayer? O oh God, O oh God, I need you. I need you now. Thank you that you're a God who wants us even more than you need us. Father, I pray through this time of your word being shared to your people that you would uh, fill hearts and minds with hope. 
with truth, with grace. Pray for those who come weary, heavy laden. Pray that they will come to you, Jesus. Would you grant them rest? For those who are downtrodden, would you be the lifter of their heads? And for those who are seeking and searching, I pray that you would be the life, the way, and the truth that all hearts are longing for. Would the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, to you, my rock and my redeemer? And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. Forgive me, Pastor Bobby, because I'm going to use an opening illustration of a coffee place that you don't like to go to, Starbucks, okay? I was just there yesterday. I unashamedly go there regularly. Um, but over 15 years ago, <laughs> in February of 2008, Starbucks did something that most businesses would never think of doing. It temporarily closed for three hours all 7,100 stores across the country. It was for mandatory in-store training for all of its 135,000 employees. They wanted to, to train and to focus these employees to foster enthusiasm and improve the quality of drinks made by its baristas. Behind this major decision was the CEO, Howard Schultz at the time, who actually was the, the CEO who was responsible for the meteoric rise of Starbucks. And in this case, he wanted to bring Starbucks back into laser-like focus and to reinvigorate the Starbucks experience, he calls it. He said this, the, re the reason we're doing this, we, we believe that this is a bold demonstration of our commitment to our core and to a reaffirmation of our coffee leadership. <laughs> Interestingly, and not surprisingly, this shutdown was mocked by all the independent coffee shops who have long suffered under the shadow of Starbucks. There is one in particular in, in, in Los Angeles. During that three-hour block that Starbucks was shut down, they offered free coffee to all their, their customers. The owner of this particular chain, he said this, I don't know why uh, it's going to take three hours for them to learn how to press a button. <laughs> I use this illustration and I open with this because similarly and sadly, and it's a misperception of course from this owner, but it's true I think, the Christian life and being the church, the bride of Christ, sometimes is reduced to simply pressing buttons. The buttons of quick and empty prayers. The buttons of just catching a sermon online when it's convenient. Uh, the button of going through the motions of corporate worship. The button of joyless giving, the button of sporadic fellowship with believers, the button of non-committal attitudes towards ministry, missions, and the service of neighbor. These are buttons, sadly, that I think a lot of Christians unknowingly are pushing on a regular basis. Has anyone here this morning lost sight and forgotten the core of what the Christian life is all about. And I think that's why I'm preaching this message. As we're at the midpoint of 2023, in the middle of the summer, maybe some of us need a reminder. Maybe we've forgotten that the Christian life is about knowing, loving, and exalting Christ in and through our lives. Unfortunately, our relationship with God, if we're to be honest with ourselves, can unconsciously and gradually grow distant, become dull, uh, just be dialed in, if you will, and just diminish to him being an online spiritual vending machine. In other words, when I need something, I call upon the Lord. And our relationship with God, actually, there's more in the rearview mirror instead of God being a present-day reality as the one who defines us, who leads us, 
and is our ultimate source of strength, satisfaction, and security. Am I speaking to anyone here this morning? Is anyone here, if we're to be just really honest, in danger of losing sight of the one who matters most, especially if you call yourself a follower and a child of God? That, that one is Jesus. That's why we opened our service with a song that says, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But more importantly than just diagnosing where we are, I think we want to propose there's hope, there's good news, that what does it look like for us to return and to be recaptivated by our first love, and that love being Jesus, our beautiful Savior and our loving Lord? What does that look like? And that's what I believe this, this passage is about. Okay, so here's a preview of the sermon, of the outline that I'm going to walk us through this morning. Here it is. The main idea being this, that only Christ's first love for us fuels devotion, our devotion to him. And in this, in this, in this passage, John reveals three principles to restore our devotion and to refocus upon our first love. And the one, first one is going to be remembering, to remember Christ's love through his cross, Love is defined by his cross. Secondly, it's repenting from taking pride in our service, in our sacrifice, and our self-righteousness. And lastly, it's to remain in a posture of total dependence and obedience to the Holy Spirit. Okay? So that's how I think we can refocus and be restored in our devotion to Christ. So let's start with the first one. Remember Christ's love through his cross. Remember Christ's love through his cross. This passage, it's very important. If you look in verse 1, it says, To the angel of the church at Ephesus, this passage, this letter is addressed to Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is a great church in the New Testament. It's one of the few churches that doesn't seem to have a lot of controversies in Paul's letter to them. It was a large church, influential church. It was privileged, very blessed. Some would argue that it was Asia's most prominent and important congregation in one of the world's greatest cities. But how did such an amazing church that was so diligent and dutiful, enduring and doctrinally correct and discerning about right and wrong practices, how did they end up forsaking their first love about 30 years later when this letter is written? How? Most likely, this is what I would propose and suggest, most likely over the course of time, like many of us, our, their relationship with God would only receive their leftovers. Their leftover time, leftover attention, leftover affections, and leftover love. But Jesus hadn't changed. Jesus hasn't gone anywhere. But it was actually the believers and the church who had drifted from him. I remember hearing a, a, a pastor criticize this one phrase. And again, there's nothing wrong with it, but I think he was trying to prove a point. He said, he doesn't like when people say they found God. Here's why. He says, I didn't know God was lost. It's actually we're who's, we're, who's lost, and God finds us. Amen. So if you feel like there's a distance, disconnect, there's a dullness, a dryness, I don't think God's moved. I don't think God has wandered away. I don't think God has changed who he is. It's us. We've forgotten. Most likely we've forgotten his love for us through his cross. 
You see, notice here it says in verse 4, but this I have against you, that you have abandoned the love you had first. Jesus doesn't say they lost that love. In other words, that he no longer loves them, cares for them, calls them his own. If anything, he, he does commend them. He acknowledges that they are his beloved, but he says you have abandoned your love for me. John, so John is reminding them to go back to the basics, the essence, and the heart of the gospel. In verse 5, that's why he says, just remember. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. I'm going to cite a few passages in Ephesians because, again, that's where it all began, the, the, the letter to the church in Ephesus, in Ephesians. Because in Ephesians, that's where the church learned that G, what all that Jesus had done for them through his life, his death, death and resurrection, that they were loved, they were chosen, adopted, justified, rescued, raised up, seated with him, and reconciled to God and to one another. That's why it says in Ephesians chapter 1, look there with me on the screen, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ and with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. God chose you before the foundation of the world. Friends, do you realize that? You were chosen before you were born, before you made your first mistake before you made your millionth mistake, he chose you. And in Ephesians chapter 2, the well-known passage, it says this, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 5, it says it even more succinctly. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, God loves you. And we cannot define his love for us by our circumstances, but by Christ's cross. Amen? Otherwise, we fall into the what have you done for me lately mentality instead of what have you done for me uniquely. Only Jesus came, lived, died, rose again to demonstrate God's love for you and for me. Let's never forget that. And if you have, let's remember that today. Amen? Amen. We can never outgrow the gospel because we can never outgrow the need to be fully known, to be intimately understood, to be deeply loved, and to be truly free in our lives, both as sinner and sufferer. Both as sinner and sufferer. For those who struggle with sin, feel like they're disqualified from God's love, unworthy of his love because of kind of habitual sin, long-lasting, uh, besetting sin, things that you just can't seem to shake. I remember hearing a, a podcast by one pastor and author, an interview of one pastor and author named Tyler Stanton. And the, and, and, and the interviewer asked him this question because he, he shared how he experienced freedom for several years over a lifelong addiction. A battle with a, beset, a, a, a deep besetting sin. 
This is how Tyler Stanton says he started to experience freedom from that addiction. Again, addictions are complicated, but for him, this is how spiritually he was able to address it. He said this, I actually began to believe that God loved me in the midst of my utter, consistent, and repeated failure. Wow. Not that God loved him when he overcame it, avoided it, had victory over it, but in the midst of it. He loves you. Christ died for you. He died for even the things you're struggling with right now. For the sinner, for the sufferer. A story is told by Brian Chapel that there was a humble, devoted follower of Christ, a young man who was injured, unfortunately, at his workplace when he was young, derailing his career and due to his injuries, bedridden and confined to his room. And his whole world was really just a window beside his bed that he looked out into the world. And over the years, he watched through the window beside his, 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 his bed as life just seemed to pass him by. He watched other men of his own age in their same career prosper, raise families, and have grandchildren. He didn't share any of the joys of rewards with them that he used to even work with. He watched these men from a distance as his own body withered, his house crumbled and deteriorated, and it seemed in his mind his life was utterly wasting away. One day, when he was much older, a younger man in the same field, in the same career, came by to his house to visit. And this, was, this guy was somewhat of a skeptic because he knew that this older gentleman was a believer. He said this to him, I hear that you believe in God and claim that he loves you. How can you believe such things with what has happened to you? Don't you sometimes doubt God's love? The old man hesitated but smiled and he said, yes, it's true. Sometimes Satan comes calling on, call, uh, calling on me in this fallen down how, old house of mine and actually he sits right there by my bed where you're sitting now. No, no implications or hints. <laughs> He pointed, then he, he, and the Satan points out of my window to the men I used to work with who are still strong and active, and Satan kind of whispers this in my ear. Does Jesus still love you? Then Satan will look around my tattered room, and he points out to the fine homes in my neighborhood of all my friends across the street, and he says again into my ear, does Jesus love you? Then at last, Satan sometimes will point out a grandchild of a friend of mine, a man who has everything that I do not, and he whispers into my ear, does Jesus really love you? The young man followed up by saying, then what do you say when Satan speaks to you that way? This old man said, I take Satan by the hand, and I lead him in my mind to a hill far away called Calvary. There, I point to the thorn-tortured brow, to the nail-pierced hands and feet, and to the spear-wounded side. And then I whisper into Satan's ear, doesn't Jesus love me? If anyone is wondering, doubting, questioning, he loves you, I say, no, look no further and nowhere else than the cross. That, I think, is kind of really the foundation at the core of our devotion to him. Our walk with him is knowing how much he sacrificed to demonstrate God's love for us. 
Only Christ's first love for us fuels our devotion to him. And the first principle, once again, is to remember Christ's love for us through his cross. And the second one is this. Repent from taking pride in our service, sacrifice, and self-righteousness. We need to repent here, folks. Friends, we need to repent. Now, what does an esteemed church like the the church in Ephesians that's known for serving, discerning, persevering, and filled with ministries marked by energy, orthodoxy, and stability, what does a church like this need to repent of? I'll tell you what it needs to repent of. It's something that I need to repent of, and possibly some of us need to repent of. It's placing our worth, our confidence, and our trust in our service, in our sacrifice, and in our status and our self-righteousness. In essence, they were taking pride, in other words, placing their value and their significance in what they had done for Christ far more than focusing upon and rejoicing in and being humbled by what Christ had done for them. When this gospel truth and reality is on the forefront of our minds that Christ has done it all for us, when that is treasured deep within our hearts and fuels our souls, it keeps them and us grounded. It keeps us humble. And most importantly, the greatest fruit of the Spirit is it keeps us loving as we live out and share the gospel in our homes, with our friends, with our family, with our neighborhoods, and with the world. While the love of Christ is the source, it is the reason, it is the root for which, uh, for who we are and the motivation for everything we do and what we become, God's love is also purifying love. It's refining love. It's a sanctifying love. It's a maturing love. Sometimes we lose sight of that. Yes, God loves us, absolutely. But that's why Jesus rose again. That's why the Spirit was sent, so that we would grow and mature and repent and be made more and more into Christ's likeness. And as a result, grasp the riches of the gospel. Grow in God's grace and to reorient our lives. That's our work lives, our relational lives, our treasures, our desires, our dreams, and our goals around God's kingdom and his values, his priorities, and the ethics that come with the gospel. But sadly, one author, Chuck DeGroat, puts it this way, and this is, I think, it's kind of a commentary of our day and age, of most believers. He says this, we are no longer in a story that's bigger than us, but the story is us. That's why I think there's so much disillusionment with God or with faith because we're not in a bigger story and that bigger story being capital S with Jesus as king, but it's the story is us with us being kings and queens of our own lives. Friends, allow me to just remind you lovingly that God loves you as you are But also, he loves us too much for us to remain as we are. That's true love. Therefore, John clearly and boldly calls the Ephesian church uh, to what is absolutely essential and non-negotiable to restore their devotion and return their focus upon Christ. It's to repent. It's not a word we use often. 
Yes, we don't probably even sing of it too often. I don't usually see the word repentance in a lyric of a song, but it's absolutely non-negotiable in our connection of growing in Christ-likeness. That's why in verse 5, look there, it's repeated twice. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, your witness, your power, your influence, unless you repent. See, the mark of a Christian is someone who remembers his love and humbly repents in response to his love. It's not enough just to remember, even though that's absolutely foundational, it's at the core of the Christian gospel, but also the Christian life is to respond to his love with repentance. Again, we're repenting not based on our guilt, our sin, and our shame. Note this, please, please note this, it's in response to his love. That's why it says in Romans chapter 2, Or do you presume on the richness of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? True repentance is a response to kindness. Let me say that again. True repentance, lasting fruits of repentance, is in response to kindness, not to guilt, shame, or kind of an overbearing sense of worthlessness. In Acts chapter 3, I love the kind of an expanded, more uh, biblical understanding of repentance. It says this in Acts chapter 3, repent therefore and turn back. Again, repenting is a changing of a mind. It's going in one direction, going back in another direction. And friends, don't miss this. Look up, please. When you're going back in another direction, it's not the direction of you living your life. That other direction is always towards God. Amen? Repentance is always coming back to God. It's not about a place, it's about a person. Let me say that again. Repentance is not about a place, it's about a person. Turn back that your sins may be blotted about that. Check this out in in, in verse 20. That times of refreshing, that's a result of repentance, may come from the presence of the Lord. That he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. It's refreshing. Repentance is a gift from God to bring us back to God. Let me say that again. Repentance is a gift and an invitation from God to come back to God, a place of his presence of refreshing. Dan Allender puts it this way. Repentance, though it may involve certain levels of grief and awareness of sorrow, absolutely godly sorrow, it's, it's, it's absolutely tied to repentance. It's also sufficiently a response to joy. The invitation of God to celebrate our return. So when God calls us to repent, when John calls the Ephesian church to repent, it's, just, it's, a, it's an invitation to return to joy. Joy knowing that you're loved, that God wants you more than he needs you and what you do for him. It's the comeback to our first love. Is God convicting, stirring, or calling anyone here this morning to humbly and specifically repent, not of, not of the sins that we think we need to always repent of, which we should, but sins of pride, of self-reliance, and self-sufficiency in life and in service to God. And as your pastor and your brother, I humbly invite and encourage you to repent today and every day. Of anything, repent of anything that you place your identity and your worth and your significance in more than or rather than Jesus and the gospel. Church, repent. Times of refreshing await us.
Thirdly and lastly, and I close with this, remain in a posture of total dependence and obedience to the Holy Spirit. Remain in a posture of total dependence and obedience to the Holy Spirit. While this letter to the Ephesians starts with uh, noteworthy commendations, then moves to poignant criticism and conviction about forsaking their first love, it ends with a gracious invitation. And the gracious invitation is not just to repent, because I think sometimes we think that's the Christian life, believe and repent, but it's also now to remain, rely, and to commune with the Holy Spirit, with God by his Holy Spirit. That's why verse says, it says, do the works you did at first, return to that. And verse seven, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's the posture of listening, of dependence, of reliance, of remaining utterly dependent and obedient to the Spirit of God. And again, back in Ephesians The Ephesian church already was taught this. It says this in Ephesians 3, that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And then Ephesians 5, the well-known passage, it says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is the botchery, but be filled with the spirit. As I wrap up my message, have you been trying to figure out and live the Christian life all by yourself on your own. Apart from relying upon, leaning into, and ultimately surrendering yourself to the presence, the power, and the enabling grace of the Holy Spirit. I wonder if some of us are experiencing disappointments, discouragements, delays, and detours in our life because God is trying to get our attention to return to Him and to depend solely upon him and to trust and obey him by his spirit. Friends, brothers and sisters, Christ central. I can't help but wonder and ask if we as a church in 2023, in July of 2023, or you individually or as a family are entering into or possibly already in a season where God is waking us up. He's calling us to return to our first, our greatest, and our ultimate love, and to remain close to him by walking in his spirit, being filled by his spirit. Almost 20 years ago, some of you might have been impacted by this this, uh, major, uh, kind of a short-term catastrophe. (laughs) In August of 2003, the largest blackout, can you imagine this? It happened in August. Power went out in that... (laughs) Uh, the largest blackout in U.S. history blanketed the entire northeast region of America. An estimated 50 million people were impacted by this blackout. It was throughout New York City. Some of you might have even been in New York in 2003. It went as far uh, uh, west as Detroit to Michigan to, uh, to Ohio and even up as far north in Toronto. They were without power and electricity for several hours to several days. However... It wasn't a complete blackout. Not everyone was without power. There were some businesses, some buildings and organizations that did have power, like hospitals and airports. They continued to have power. Now, how did these buildings and businesses continue to have power when everyone around them were in the dark? You see, they had generators that automatically turned on when the normal source of power was out. You see, they had a different source of power. 
Christ Central, brothers and sisters, I'm here to remind you, we have a different source of power for the Christian life, amen? And that source of power is the only way we can restore and reset and reorient our devotion and our focus upon the one who matters most, and that's Jesus, the, the, the one who died, who, who rose again, who's coming back. So I have good news on this July the 16th of 2023, that the same spirit that rested upon Jesus, that empowered Jesus and raised him from the dead, lives right here, right now in you and I for all who call upon him and trust in him for our faith. Beloved, in this day, in the coming days, in the weeks and months ahead, no matter the uncertainty, may each of us discover, rediscover, and experience the comfort the peace, the hope, the healing, and the fruit of the Spirit's intimate presence in our lives. Amen? And as a result, may our sense of value, which a lot of us struggle with, I struggle with it, our worth, our identity, and our security be based not so much on what we do for God or for other people, or maybe what's been done to you or not done for you, but Rather, what Jesus alone has promised, has accomplished, and delivered by his cross, and applied to us by his Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's pray as we close and prepare to respond to God. Oh God, I pray for those who are so, so weary. Weary from life, weary from burdens, weary from pain, struggles. They need a comforter. They need to hear the invitation of the one who says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For those who are seeking for love or disappointed by the love that this world promises but can't deliver, I pray today they will be reminded afresh of true love, lasting love, unconditional love, inexhaustible love, unwavering love. That's your love. And for those who hopefully honestly admit there's a sense of pride and self-sufficiency. Draw us back to you through repentance. Your kindness, lead them to repentance so that times of refreshing, their life would not be defined by what they do, but what, who they are, who loves them, who knows them, who calls them his own. That's you. And I pray for those who have been trying to figure out the Christian life by themselves, just learning more, doing more, going more, serving more. I pray there will be more of a, a remaining, a reliance upon your Holy Spirit to govern and guide them in the day-to-day -day joys and the sorrows of life. So Holy Spirit, would you come now and fill us afresh and keep on filling us. Not so that we get more of you, but that you get more of us more of our lives are surrendered to you. So now receive this song of response. And just again, Lord, we are yours. Thank, thank you that we are yours. 
Come Holy Spirit, fill this place. Fill our lives, fill our marriages, fill our kids, fill our businesses, fill our futures, fill the broken, broken cisterns of our lives. Fill us afresh by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.